0: chapter 33, Psalms chapter 33 today. And one of the things that is very interesting about this psalm or what we can appreciate of this psalm is that this psalm is as a school of worship. For all of us that like to worship here, we're going to learn what it means to worship the Lord. How does that look like when we worship the Lord? And we've titled today's message, O Taste and See, Notice those are two different senses that you have that allow you to experience now the quality or experience now. As you taste something, you can see it, but also to taste it. Oh, taste and oh, see. And what David is doing here is that he is telling us that because God is creator, because he is Lord, because he is savior, because he is defender, because he is worthy of our trust and our praise, because he is all of this and faithful now, And because we depend on the word of God, we should sing and give thanks to God. Because of who God is, we are singing and giving praise to God. Now notice, our worship, we don't worship God for what we have. We worship God for who He is. Oftentimes, we think that we're worshiping God for what we have. We're not worshiping for our gifts. We're worshiping for who He is. Notice how he starts off this now psalm. Because here he's going to tell us now who should worship. He's going to tell us how we should worship. He's going to tell us also why we should worship. Notice this, who, what, how we should worship, why we should worship. And also here the what, what should happen because those worship the Lord. In fact, this is so important for us because it gives us greater confidence in our trial as we're worshiping. You see how this is so important in your life of worship? Just like your prayer life, how does your life of worship look like unto the Lord? And he's going to tell us here that we ought to never separate worship from the Word of God. Now I want you to remember that because oftentimes we want to worship without a central focus of the Word of God. When you take the Word of God out of the worship, all you have is experience. And that's not true worship. In fact, today... In our culture, in our time that we're living in, a lot of people talk about the worship experience. You know what the problem with that is? Is that people love to worship experience. (laughs) And we start to worship the experience. How did it feel? How did that worship make you feel? Instead of you worshiping God for who He is, the truths about Him in the Word of God. In real worship, we start to learn that it emerges from the Word of God. We shouldn't be in love with experience we should be in love with the Word of God. Because the Word of God, in the Word of God, is born worship in spirit, notice, and in truth. You know why it says in truth? Because it's doctrinal. It's not just emotional. It's doctrinal. It's sound. It's spiritual. It's You're singing now doctrine from the Word of God. And that's what we need. We need more of the Word of God in our worship today. Notice how he says this. As we start reading in Psalms, now 33. Rejoice, he goes on and it says this, rejoice in the Lord. This is a call to praise. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Who should worship? Here it starts off. Who should worship? O you righteous or O you godly people. Praise the Lord with harp. Make melody to him with all instruments of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We pray that you would just bless this time of, in your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because you let us approach this time. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn more about worship, that it begins in the, in the word of God, that it emerges from a devotional life. That we wouldn't worship you because of gifts, but we would worship you because of who you are. That we wouldn't look for experiences, but we would be people with foundation. Lord, thank you because you are calling us to do this, and you're calling us to do this together. We put this all in Jesus' name, and together the church said, amen. Now notice how it starts, and it says rejoice. Rejoice, that you would be filled with joy when you worship. In fact, rejoice speaks of celebration. Celebration. Notice this, we're coming to the Lord in celebration, and who should worship? Let the godly sing with joy to the Lord. In fact, he goes on in this verse, it says, for praises from the upright is beautiful. This type of worship, when the upright or when the righteous or when the godly are worshipped, this is beautiful moments in worship. This is beautiful, and it's pure to the Lord. It's beautiful praises now. When those who are walking uprightly or in a godly way in spirit and in truth are worshiping because it's sincere praise. You want to know why it pleases the Lord, why it's beautiful when the upright praise Him? Because it's sincere. It's not showmanship, it is sincere. And notice how it starts with the heart. True worship begins with the upright, with the heart, with sincerity that's authentic. But not only does it speak about that, it's beautiful praise to the Lord because it's proper now or it's suitable now. And it's talking about a congregational type of praise. Because it says here, O you righteous, praise him here from the upright. Is beautiful. Verse 2, praise the Lord with harp or with instrument. This is how we should worship. Notice this, how with now instrument. Make melody to him with instrument of ten strings. Sing to the Lord a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Now I want you to underline a very powerful word here in verse 2. He speaks about the heart in verse 1, upright, but he speaks also about now the quality of our worship as well when he uses the word skillfully. Do you see how this is so important? We ought to never here, and I want you to really pay attention for all of us here because we're all worshipers. We ought to never now compromise the quality of our heart or the quality even in how we now present our worship to the Lord. That's why it says here, and it's speaking directly or specifically here to the worship leader when he says, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, what does that mean, a new song? Does it mean that we have to learn new lyrics every time we come to worship? No, it doesn't mean that. A new song, what it's referring to, is referring to sing from the heart now. Or sing at a new season, or with a new expression, or with a new occasion now. That's what it means, sing a new song. But he also says here, sing and play here the harp, or the new song, play it skillfully. Now what does it say, play skillfully? Because you, should, you must play or offer the Lord our worship, specifically in the worship ministry. Notice what he's m- mentioning here. Giving our best and with excellence. Giving the best and with excellence. Sing for joy. You know why it's so important that he says this? Because David here, he's a, he's a man after God's own heart. But he also plays the harp. <laughs> And not only does he play the harp, but he plays the harp really good. (laughs) And he doesn't want to just come and offer God something just at a random. He wants to offer God the best with excellence. Well, you might not play an instrument. You would ask yourself, well, how does this apply to me? Well, what you are offering to God, are you offering it the best and with excellence? Or are you just offering anything to the Lord? You see, because when you... Worship Him from the heart. Guess what's going to happen? The best is going to come out with excellence. And here what He's talking about is that that we ought to never now compromise the quality of our worship when it comes to our heart and when it comes to our skill. Never compromise that type of quality. Now notice as He goes on in verse 3 and He tells this, Sing to Him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right. And all his works is done in truth. Now, why does he say worship? Because the word of the Lord is right. And everything in it is truth. All his work is true. The word of the Lord is right. That's where we're worshiping the Lord. Because his word is dependable. Because his word is truth. And the worship must be here scriptural. The worship must be doctrinal. And we can trust all of his work. Now, notice what he says here. His worship now, or the word of God, the Lord is right, and His work is done in truth. You ought to never separate worship and the word of God. Now, what does he mean by this in this verse, verse 4? That our worship has to have songs or lyrics that are true. In fact, today we're in a time where worship could not be more not scriptural or doctrinal than ever, (laughs) It's more like you're worshiping self. And oftentimes we're singing and raising our hands and the song is about us. <laughs> if the song is about you, then it's not worship. That's why we have to be sensitive about when it true worship is exalting who Christ is, his glory, the doctrines of God is, he's omniscient, he's great, he is faithful in order for it to be true worship. If the song talks all about us and your emotions and your feelings, then guess what you're singing and who you're worshiping? worshiping ourselves and that's exactly why he's giving us here now a perspective on how true worship ought to be now notice that we go on in verse five and in verse here verse five where he says he loves righteousness and justice the earth is full of the goodness of the lord this is why he's worshiping because the lord loves justice he loves now righteousness the earth is filled with goodness the earth is filled with his unfailing love, notice verse 5, the earth is filled with the unfailing love of God, verse 6, by the word, again the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, now notice the word of God is in worship, but the word of God is also in creation, By the breath of the mouth of God, he created all things, in verse 5. The Spirit of God gave breath even, and the stars were born. Notice this in verse 7 as he continues to read. He gathers the waters of the sea together, creation, the word of God in creation. As a heap, he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear, everyone should fear now. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. He separates the waters. Let everyone stand in Oh, What does an awe mean? Let everyone stand in wonder and let everyone stand in reverence because of who he is. Because he is the creator that we would stand in wonder and that we would stand in reverence because of who God is. Do you see here how the word of God, his breath, his literal breath now was revealed and manifested in creation? Let's keep reading here because David now Is allowing us to celebrate in his own personal worship with the Lord together. Verse 9, it says, for he spoke, again, the word of God. It's all about the word of God and worship here. And it was done, it was accomplished with authority, with power. It appeared at his command. He commanded it and it stood fast here. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Look at now the word of God in history. Now he contrasts now the plans of the nations or the plans of people and his own plans this year could not have to- taught us more that our plans must be brought before the lord i want to encourage you to bring your plans before the lord in prayer to bring your plans before the lord and worship and say lord these are the plans that we have put together lord but we don't want them to be our plans we want these to be your plans in fact whatever the plans of god are in his word you align yourself with them don't ask the so, lord lord How can you be a part of my plans? Say, Lord, no, I want to be a part of your plans. Notice what it says and what happens here now in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel or the plans of the nations to nothing. Even though national leaders and leaders that are in office or in authority, He brings their plans to nothing. What they had devised, He makes the plans of the people of no effect or they have absolutely now no authority in their plans. However, in contrast, verse 11, the counsel here, The advice or the plans here of the Lord stand forever. His plans stand firm. His plans are dependable. You can count on his plans here, he's saying. The plans of his heart are to all generations. You want to know what the plans of his heart are? Oftentimes we want to know what the plans of his heart are, but guess where they're found? In the word of God. Lord, I want to know what your plans are for my life. I don't want to tell you, Lord, what my plans are for my life and then ask you to bless them. I want to know what your plans are for my life, Lord. Because my plans oftentimes have no effect. And the nations of the plans have no effect. But here, what he is realizing, David, as he's being rescued and delivered from God, is that God's plans are true and his plans are much better and his plans are lastings now. In fact, he's saying his intentions can never be shaken. Our intentions can be shaken. Our motives can be shaken. But the motives and the intentions and the purposes and the plans of God stand forever. Now notice in verse 12, as we continue to read here in this very text, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Underline that please, church. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Isn't this... True today? Isn't this what we need to know that we need to realize? Because this is a call to worship as a nation now. He gave us personal worship, he gave us corporate worship, but now he's given us national worship. The nation who ought to fear the Lord and ought to worship the Lord, because in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Now, he's telling us here that it is a blessing in being a godly nation now. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, you know what Solomon writes? He says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I pray that later this year, as we have the privilege to be able to vote, that we would vote for righteousness, because righteousness exalts a nation and sin anything that we stand for that is sinful it's going to be a reproach to any people you know in 1962 it was when they United States and we as a people removed the Bible and praying out of public schools and now 2020 you see what they're teaching in public schools it's absolutely horrific Because we decided as a nation we were going to remove the highest authority that we had, and that was the word of God. I mean, just think about it. The Lord said, I will hold my word above my own name. That's exactly why this has to be the authority not only in our lives, not only in our churches, but this has to be authority in our country, the word of God. This is so important. In fact, in the great revivals of America where Jonathan Edwards was leading this great revivals, you know where people went to go and see what what they they should stand for? Where did they go to find out the truth? You know where they went? They went to church. And they depended upon the pastor because he was teaching the word of God. And you know what people want to do now today? They want to go to the media instead of the church. (laughs) And let the media tell me what I should stand for. Let the culture tell me what I have to stand for. And please, don't bring politics into the church. You know why that's so, how how dangerous that can be to us as a church? It waters down, it waters down our spiritual convictions. And that's where the church is weak now. Because we're not able to stand for truth. And I pray that you stand, you stand pro-life this November. That you stand pro-Israel, because that's what the Lord, the Bible tells us, that we would stand with Israel, that we would back up the nation of Israel. The Lord said, I will bless those who bless the nation of Israel. And that we would stand pro marriage as ordained by God. Because we wanna be a nation that is under God. And anyone who takes that out, a nation under God, and you wanna align yourself with that, you better pray before the Lord for his mercy. And I say that with a lot of love, because it's the truth. We cannot take God out of our nation. Do you see how important this is right here? In fact, let's read it again. Blessed is the nation who, here it says, whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation who makes God, the one true God, their master. In fact, verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of man. How does that make you feel? That God is looking down and he's watching us. He sees you. Not only does he say that he sees you, but that word sees or looks. He says he's looking at the intentions of the heart of man here. He's looking and he's watching you to gaze intently. And he sees here, verse 13, notice what he's saying. He sees all of the human race now. All the sons of man. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. From where he's at, he's looking and he understands All the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their heart, or He created them like a potter, creating now the clay individually. Notice how personal God is. He's not a distant God, He's a personal God. And He considers all their works, He knows them, He understands all their doings. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. Don't put your confidence in a king, in a leader, on a man. Because a man cannot save you. A man will let you down. Every, a man will always let you down. But hear what he's saying. You know who's not going to let you down? God will never let you down. Notice what he says here. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Oftentimes we think that great strength or even the most powerful army is going to defend us. But that's not really what defends us. What defends us... What's our sustainer, what's our protector, what's our provider now? It's the Lord, and this is what he's going to say. Even in verse 17, even the greatest resources are not going to save you. The man with the greatest strength or the people with the greatest resources, they will not save you. Notice what it says. A horse is in vain. Hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Not even the resources will deliver, so don't put your trust In things or in people. Don't put your trust in things or in people. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. Notice how he goes on. Behold. Listen. That's what behold means. It means listen now. In fact, he says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy. You know why the eye of the Lord now is on those who fear him? First he said, the eye of the Lord is watching over, but his eye is on now, speaks now of a care. The eye of the Lord is specifically caring now on those who fear him, on those who trust him. But what is his eye there to do? His eye is there to sustain. His eye is there to protect. His eye is there to provide to those who trust him. You want to see the the providence of God in your life? You want to see the, the Lord give you the strength now and the protection that God gives you? Guess what happens? You have to put your eyes on him. You have to fear the Lord. Notice so he says in verse 19, "to deliver their soul from death." This is why his eyes on you. Because he's there to deliver your soul from what? From death. And to keep them alive in famine He is there to watch over you, to rescue you in the day or the hour of difficulty that you need deliverance. This is why the eye of the Lord is on us. In fact, verse 20, he goes on and he says this what should happen when we worship the Lord? And he says, This or so wait for the Lord. There's a powerful word there. The word is wait. Is your soul waiting for the Lord today? Or is your soul anxious for things? Waiting is so important because it's only through waiting that you really are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, only through waiting. And that's a promise of the Holy Spirit. Notice this, that anointing, the Spirit of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the anointing, it's not a gift, it's a promise. It's a promise to those that are willing to wait. Are you willing to wait in worship for the presence of God to come upon you? It's not a gift, it's not a gift it is a promise, the anointing. And with the anointing, then the gifts are manifested out of your life. Notice what he says here in verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord, or we are expecting now. We are waiting for him. He is our help and our seal. He is our protector. He is our strength. He is our answer. Not people and not things. For our heart shall rejoice in who? In him. My heart's gonna rejoice in him or in, in the truth of his holy name. Notice this, and in his holy name because we have trusted in his holy name. You know why you can rejoice? Because you trusted in his holy name. Those that have gone through trials in life can rejoice after the trial because you trusted in his holy name. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That after the trial, this is David speaking after the trial. This is David being delivered. He said, we can worship, we can rejoice because I trusted in his holy name throughout this time. And he goes on and says here, verse 22, let your mercy or let your unfailing love, O Lord, be upon us. Or let your unfailing love surround us just as we hope in you. Lord, we expect in you or we trust in you. But why is he, why is he taught this so far to us? Because he's telling us here that God protects us not to only prosper us. But God protects us to prepare us. God protects us to prepare us, to preserve us so that we can go back into battle. Do you see the protection of God, the preservation of God? The preservation of God is for the preparation of God. There are often times in our lives that we don't understand why we're going through trials, but the the preservation of God in your life is for the preparation of God into the next battle. In Zechariah chapter four, verse six, the Lord tells Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel doesn't know how he's going to build now the temple. He's intimidated by the task at hand. How are we going to do it? We don't have enough people. We don't have enough strength. We don't. Know, we don't have enough manpower. We always want to talk about manpower instead of God's power. <laughs> Whose power are you relying on? In fact, Zechariah verse four, chapter four, verse six. Said this, and he answered, and said to him, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel now, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And the reason why this is so important is because in our worship life, in our life of worship, we should worship in truth in the word of God, but also wait on him in spirit, from the heart. But also say, Lord, we're going to do this. We're going to fight our battles. We're going to let our battles be fought by the Lord in spirit. We're not going to fight in the flesh. We're going to fight in the spirit. How do you fight in the spirit? How do you you really trust the Lord so that you're not fighting in the flesh, you would ask yourself? By waiting on him. That's what it means to fight in the spirit. Waiting on God. Because the moment that you want to fight your own battle in the flesh, guess what happens? The Lord will allow you to do that. But he is the only one that can defend you and clear your name. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, you fight my battles. I want to fight them in the spirit. I do not want to fight this trial in the flesh. Now notice what he goes on in, in chapter 34 of Psalms, because here he's telling us that God pays attention to those who call on him. And some of us here need to hear that today. God's paying attention to you that you're calling on him. You might think, oh, I don't, I don't hear Oh, I don't see the Lord answering my prayer right now. But whether he offers a way of escape, whether he offers help now in time of trouble, you can be certain that God always acts on behalf of those who love him, whether you feel it or whether you see it or not. He is acting on your behalf. And here in chapter now 34 of Psalms, David now is writing this after he acted like an insane madman in front of Abimelech. Now, do you remember when Abimelech saw, this is David, the one that killed Goliath. What is he doing here around us? And David was scared. So David said, I'm going to act insane now. And he's let a lot of saliva drip from his face. He's sort of scratching the walls and acting like a madman. And Abimelech said, this is David, the one that killed Goliath. Get him out of my city. I don't want no more madman in my city. And what he did is that, that, that he was driven out, but the Lord delivered him from the hand of the enemy. And now he is rejoicing that he escaped now that moment of danger. Have you ever felt that way maybe in life that you were going through a trial and you felt, Man, I escaped that moment of danger. The Lord sought me through there. Notice how he's going to tell us now, and he praises God for that moment of deliverance. He praises God for that moment of the, that God answers sometimes on the very last minute. The Lord loves to do that. You know why? Because He wants to see you just trust Him. <laughs> he wants to see you just trust Him. I'm reading the biography of Hudson Taylor, a man of faith. Hudson Taylor is such a man of faith, has such a role model that he actually was from England. He moved to China. There was not a day that someone up without Hudson Taylor being on his knees praying for China. And it said that later on, the Lord gave him a big heart for China and for orphans, that he opened up up an orphanage. And he was very poor. The orphanage was very poor, but they trusted in God. There oftentimes, they didn't have anything to eat for dinner. They would have nothing to eat for dinner. And he got all the kids and said, all right, kids, let's, everyone, let's go to our place. And there was a huge long table in that orphanage. And everybody sat down, but there was no food in the orphanage. And he said, let's pray for the food. (laughs) Can you believe that? What type of faith does it take to do that? And they're praying for the food, and there's no food. They're all the kids are all sitting there. And they're praying for the Hudson Taylor is just leading them in a prayer, and the very last minute there's a knock at the door. It's the baker. And the baker says, Hey, we have all this leftover bread. Do you guys need it? <laughs> and Hudson Taylor's all, Praise God. Yeah, we need it. So bring in all the bring in all the bread. Bring in all the bread. And just as they're bringing all the bread, all right, let's finish. Let's pray. Let's thank God for the bread. They're praying for the bread. And then there's a knock on the door. The milkman is passing by. Hey, I have this extra gallons of milk. Would you guys happen to need these milk gallons at the orphanage? And Taylor just praising God and showing now the orphans the faithfulness of God in his own time. Do you see how God answers our prayers when we call on him? There are often times we want God to answer now, and he says, no. I want you to wait for me. I want you to trust me. I want us to get closer in this process. Notice what he says here in Psalms now, 34. As the Lord has delivered David, and he says, I will bless the Lord. And I want you to underline that, church, at all times. Not sometimes. Hey, things are going bad. I haven't been at church, that's why. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I've been wanting to go to church, but, you know, I've been going through it. All the more, you should be at church because you're going through it. <laughs> this is the place to go through it at, at church. <laughs> I will bless the Lord. Look, look at this. I will praise the Lord at all times. In every circumstances, I will praise God. In every season, I will praise Him. In fact, He says, praise will be continually on my mouth or on my lips. Not all, just on the good times, but at all times. This has to be the life verse for some of us. So that we stop complaining and start praising. You know, you want to really... Be a person of praise and say, Lord, take the complaints out of my lips. Because I want my lips to be filled with praises, not complaints. Notice how he says there, I will praise at all times. Now he says praise. His praise here, verse 1 still, shall continually be on my mouth. What is continually on your mouth? Is it, is it continually complaints? Is it gossip? Is it, is it now irritation? What is continuously on your lips? Because he uses two words, I will bless and I will praise. Circle those words, please. I will bless and I will praise. Now notice here in verse 2, my soul shall make boast. Third word, boast. I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm going to boast in who God is, only in the Lord. My soul will boast in the Lord now. Because he's the helper. He's my helper. He hears me and I'm glad now. I can take heart. I can be encouraged. Verse 2, it says, The humble shall hear of it and be glad. What does this mean? That when, other, when you're praising the Lord, guess what it is? It serves as an encouragement to others when you're serving and praising Him at all times. How can that person be praising the Lord right now? It's an encouragement to everyone else. I will praise you at all times. I will bless you. I will praise you. I will boast now of you. And now verse 3, I will magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Here's the fourth word, magnify. Now this is amazing, the word magnify, because it's, he's calling us to do it, how? Together. Oh, magnify, together, come. Let us exalt his greatness. And he says here now, together, let's do this together. That's why congregational worship is so important. That we would worship together, the togetherness now. And here he's, I'm determined now to faithfully praise God in every season. I'm determined to have a true heart of worship that praises God and no one else. Because he who praises God for blessings, notice this, he who praises God for blessings will always have blessings to praise God for. We are praising God today for his blessings as well. You're praising him for everything that he has done, for who he is. In fact, he goes on, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us, here it is, the, the final word, exalt now. Exalt his name together. What are we going to do? We're going to magnify and we're going to exalt. It's going to be all about the Lord. The Lord is the center. The Lord is the focus or the focal point of our attention in our worship. He says to bless, to praise, to boast, to magnify, and to exalt the Lord. But then he goes on in verse 4 to a personal relationship where he's seeking. What are you seeking? Notice what he says here now. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me, he rescued me from all my anxieties. Why? Because I sought the Lord. You know what anxiety, I've, I, I recently heard this, anxiety, it's a reminder to you, or it's just another reminder to you to pray. <laughs> when you become anxious, when you become fearful, you know what it is? It's an indication that it's time to pray. And oftentimes, God gives us a thorn in the side. You know what it makes out of us? It makes out of us a man and a woman of prayer. And if the Lord is going to make a man and a woman of prayer out of us through that thorn in the side, then, Lord, so be it. Because here he's talking about a personal relationship. And he says this in verse 4, I sought the Lord, or I prayed now. Seek means to pray now. And he freed me. He delivered me from all of my fears. In fact, he says, not only did he deliver me from all of my fears, it says they looked to him and were radiant. All their faces were not ashamed. Now notice what he says, they look to him. Looking to who? Looking to the Lord now. Or those who look to him were radiant. What what does the word radiant mean? Those who look to him are glowing now. Why are they glowing? What are they looking? They're looking at the face of God. And it is the reflection of the face of God that gives you that glow or that radiance now of his presence. This is talking about a transformation that happens as you're looking to God. Do you remember the Mount Transfiguration, what happened? That Jesus went with who? Peter, James, and John. And as they looked to the Lord, or the Lord that was revealed to him and manifested to them, they were transfigured now, and they were glowing. At the, the Shekinah glory was now being reflected from them because they were in the very presence of God. This is the afterglow. They don't call it afterglow just because of the schedule that it's time after the message. It's an afterglow because when you leave, you're supposed to have the afterglow. <laughs> Have you ever seen someone with an afterglow? Man, you can tell that person has been spending time with the Lord. You see how beautiful this is, this now exhortation that he's giving us here? In fact, he said, I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered him from my fears. They looked to him, and they were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. Why were their faces not ashamed? They, they were transformed, and they looked to the Lord, and they were never let down. Because they were looking to God. When you look to man, you're ashamed. When you look to God, you're never ashamed. You're never let down. And he goes on and says, the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. In desperation, the poor, the humble was crying out and he was saved from all his troubles. What does this tell us now? That every generation needs to know that God answers prayers and that God is faithful to his word. You need to know that today. God answers prayers, number one. And number two, he's faithful to his word. So what does that mean? That means that I'm taking his word into my prayer closet. God is faithful to what he said, and he answers prayers. Now, what a beautiful verse, verse 7 and 8. As it comes up, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, who does it represent? Who does the angel of the Lord represent? Christ in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord. Now, this is amazing because the angel of the Lord serves as a guard now or a guardian angel. Oftentimes, we don't talk about angels because it just blows us away. (laughs) But how many times have you prayed, Lord, I, I pray that you give us protection. You know who the Lord sends to give protection? His angels. In fact, there are angels in the house of God. I love to pray oftentimes, Lord. I pray that there would be angels all over my house, that nothing would happen. (laughs) And I don't think, I think that's a, that's a prayer that pleases God. Because I want His protection. And look what it says, the angel of the Lord encamps, or the angel of the Lord is a guardian now. Look at this, all around, He encamps all around those who fear Him and delivers them. Those who trust in the Lord, the Lord will defend and send safety and send protection from the hand of the angel of the Lord. God sends his angels for protection. Do you know in Daniel chapter 6, I love this. In Daniel chapter 6, what happened? When the king, the next day he woke up early and he just peeked into that hole and said, Hey, Daniel, (laughs) did your your God deliver you? Did he save you, Daniel? In Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, you know what Daniel responded my God sent his angel to shut the mouth of lions so that they would not hurt me because I found I was found innocent before him. And also, O oh, king, I have done no wrong before you. You see how the hand of the angel of the Lord is there to protect those who fear and those that are innocent? God sends his guardian angel for protection, for preservation, for preparation. And in verse 8, notice what he says here. This is amazing now because now he's celebrating and this is what he says, "Oh." Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is say taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not what he says. He says, "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good." Have you ever gone up to somebody and you just love you know maybe that slice of cake that you ate or the coffee that you drink and do you say taste it and see? It's good. <laughs> no, if you really believe it's good, say, "Oh, man." This is so good. You should try it. You have to try it right now. Experience it for yourself. Oh, that's exactly what he's saying. Oh, taste it. Taste it. Come on, experience him for yourself. Personally, just, just experience. Taste the goodness of God and see the goodness of God. Look how good he is. He's been encamping all around me. His angel now of protection. He's delivered me. Experience it for yourself. His goodness. But you know why he says taste, that word taste? Because it speaks, look at the Lord satisfies. Has something ever you tasted, it, it satisfies you? Oh man, this satisfies me. This is fulfilling. Oh my goodness. Look how satisfied I am in the goodness of God. Look at the satisfaction that it brings me when I taste the goodness of God. This is I'm fully satisfied in the goodness of God. In fact, the word taste implies this, that you are feeding on the Lord through his word and experiencing everything that he has for you. You want to taste the goodness of God? Then feed off of his word and experience everything he has for you. You want to taste and see? Taste it. Just open the Bible and taste it. There's nothing, it gets me so excited when I hear that people just just are tasting the word of God. You know? I recently heard, you know, someone in their vo- devotional time, they said, you know what, when I read my Bible, I don't just read my Bible, I actually open my Bible, and then I open my, old, my study Bible, and then I read them side by side. I'm just tasting now what the Word of God has to say. I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> just think about that. You don't want to miss anything of the riches of the goodness of God. And that's what he's saying, knowing Him better and enjoying Him more. You want to enjoy him more, then you have to know him better. <laughs> Knowing him better and enjoying him more. Oh, taste and see. How many times have you been guilty? You know, you went at Starbucks and you got your drink and it was a new drink. It was so good that you went that same day again. <laughs> it was so good that you went the next day again. And then you went the next day again. And you couldn't have had it the next day again. I do that with cereal all the time. I'll finish a box of cereal in one day. It's so good. But think about it, just in your own personal life, that you're reading the word of God, that it satisfies you, that you have to go back to it. Because you're enjoying the Lord, and you're getting to know him better. Now let's keep reading here. This is amazing here, how he's inviting us to experience the Lord personally. And he says here, blessed is the man who trusts in him. Tomorrow, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Notice what it says here. Oh, fear the Lord you, his saints. There is no want. Notice this. There is no want to those who fear him. Oftentimes we're in want. We're in desire. I'm anxious because I want something. And then when I have it, it didn't satisfy me. That's why when I go to the word of God, it satisfies me and I'm in No want. In fact, right here, what it says, they're they're in no want. He, what he's talking about here, is that you're enjoying time with the Lord and you lack nothing. There, the, the person that trusts in the Lord or fears the Lord, not only do they have nothing else to fear, but they lack nothing. There are oftentimes people that are chasing one thing after another. and You know why they're never satisfied? Because they're missing the only thing that they really need, and that's fellowship with God. So they think, you know what, if I'm not satisfied here, then I'm going to go try that. And then when they go try that, they find out that that's not enough either. That's why he's saying, look, the Lord's going to satisfy you here. And this is what he's telling us to now have respect of reverence for the Lord. Because when you have that, he has now provided for all of your needs. And notice what he says here in verse 9 and 10. There is no want to those who fear him. He talks about the Lord's provision now. The Lord's provision. Now verse 10, it says, the young lions lack... And suffer hunger. Even young lions are strong. And they suffer and they lack and and they need. But here he's telling us in verse 10, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Isn't that a promise right there? Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack or shall not even want any good thing. Because they're going to be satisfied in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6, what did the Lord say? But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and everything shall be added unto you. We oftentimes like to reverse that verse. Lord, give me the addition, and then I'll actually go seek you. (laughs) Give me the blessing, and then I'll be faithful. No, that's not the way it works. First, seek the Lord. And think about this. If, If you don't have what we think we need, it's probably either not good, or we don't need it right now. If you don't have what you think you need, it is probably not good for you, or you don't need it right now. This is exactly why he says this. And this is why he's telling us, you shall not lack any good thing. Oh, well, Lord, why don't I have that yet? It's a good thing. Well, maybe it's not good for you right now. Or maybe it's, that's not what you need. Now notice verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I pray that this would be such an important verse for us, that we would be able to teach children the fear of the Lord. What are the schools teaching the children? The, the, the schools are teaching children sin. Schools are teaching children pride. They're not teaching everything about self, self-esteem, whatever makes you feel good, self-esteem. That's sin. And that's why he's saying, come, children, let me teach you one thing, the fear of God. The greatest inheritance that we can leave to our children, and whether you have children or not, because you have relatives, you have nieces, nephews, cousins, the children of the church here, of a live Christian fellowship, the greatest inheritance that you can leave to them, notice this, is the fear of the Lord. Because you can give them everything else, but it's, if it's missing the fear of the Lord, you have given them nothing. You have given them nothing. Notice how important this is here. We should be teaching the children the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? You want to have a blessed life? Here it is, verse 12. Everybody wants to have that blessed life. Who desires a long, blessed life here? The answer is here. Keep your tongue from evil then. (laughs) Make sure that you guard your tongue now and your lips from speaking lies. You want to have a blessed life, then watch your tongue and your lips. Depart from evil, here he's saying, and do good. If you want the Lord to bless you with a long, blessed life, then also depart from evil, do good. Seek peace and pursue it now. Seek peace and maintain it. Work hard to maintain peace with the help of the Lord. Now notice the blessed life that he's talking about here or the abundant life that he's talking about here has nothing to do with position. Has nothing to do with possessions. Has nothing to do with status now. Has everything to do with character. Has everything to do with faith. Has everything to do with a desire to honor God. Do you have those three things? Character, faith, a desire to honor God. The blessed life. The blessed life. I lack no good thing. Character faith a desire to honor God now notice verse 15 it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous again his eyes are there his care is protection and it says here and his ears are open to their cry not only is he watching but he's also listening he's watching and listening it says the face of the Lord is against those Oh, his presence his judgment here is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. He wants to cut the remembrance of them. He wants to leave no inheritance from them of the earth. And he's going to judge. The righteous cry out. Look at this contrast. And the Lord hears and delivers them from all of their troubles. What a promise here. The righteous cry out. He hears. He delivers them. From all of their troubles, what does the Lord want to do for us today? As we cry out, He's going to hear, and He's going to deliver us from every single trouble that we're now battling with. Because everyone is in a spiritual battle, and David here realizes that in his spiritual battle, he saw the Lord deliver him as he was crying out to Him, and, and He's talking to us to us here in verse 17 about a living a life of faith, about trusting God to be our guide. Who are you trusting to be your guide? The presence of God, is he your guide to care for us, to help us do the right thing? Notice here, even in these very next verses, verse 18, the Lord is near. This is comfort here. The Lord is near. The Lord is close. What a comfort here. To those who have a broken heart. That's amazing. The Lord is near to the broken hearted. The Lord is near to the broken hearted and he saves such that have a contrite spirit now. The Lord rescues those that have a crushed spirit now, who are brokenhearted. The Lord is near to them. They're close to them. In fact, that is the most beautiful times that you are spending time with the Lord is when you are broken. Because brokenness is needed for humility to take place. And the Lord is attracted to humility to restore the crushed spirit now. In fact, God uses brokenness to display his love and to display his presence in our life. And that's when you sense his presence the most, when you're broken. You know why? Because God's presence is not on pride. God's presence is on brokenness. And that's why he says his presence is near now. Notice that word as he continues in that verse. He says here, verse 18, near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such that have a contrite spirit. God is looking for humility. He's going to minister to the humble spirit. That's exactly why we're going through a struggle. And the Lord sees us broken. And we're crying out to the Lord. And and, and we've gone through enough in life. You start to realize, when you've gone through enough in life, you start to realize that that he is more than enough in life. And you're saying, Lord, I'm depending on you. And that's the most beautiful moment in your life because you're trusting the Lord. And then he gives us a promise in verse 19. This here is one that you underline. You put it in your, you know, promise box <laughs> because we usually like to put all the other promises that really encourage us, but this is a promise that we need to hold on to. Look at the promise here. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Are we really going to end on that note tonight? <laughs> I didn't say the righteous are going to have little afflictions. And say, come to God and you're going to have the perfect life, the best life. Everything is going to get better. No, many are the troubles and the afflictions and the difficulties of those that are following God. However, here it says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You're going to go through afflictions now. This is a promise. But you have comfort that God is going to deliver you out of them all. Whether you feel now that he's delivering or you don't now. You see, this is amazing here. He's talking about a crushed spirit, a broken spirit. Why is he talking about a crushed and broken spirit during worship? Because proud people can't worship God. Only broken people can truly worship God. In fact, pride kills the anointing in worship now. And you might be singing, but are you truly worshiping? Ask yourself that question. I might be singing, but am I worshiping? Because if there's pride in your heart, you're not worshiping. The Lord wants a contrite spirit, a broken spirit. A contrite heart. He wants humility now. You see how he blesses here? Let's read verse 20 and 22 as we end. Verse 20 to 22. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Prophetic of the Messiah that not one was broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. The Lord rescues and delivers those of his servants. And none of those who trust in him... Shall be condemned. None of those who trust the Lord shall be or live in condemnation. Why? Because condemnation is not from God. When you're living in the Lord and you're coming to the Lord for forgiveness, condemnation is not from God. Compassion and confirmation is from God. Compassion and confirmation is from God when you are living a life of obedience. What kind of confirmation does he want to give you? He wants to confirm to you that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, and he's done that with compassion. Notice, let's read that verse as we pray. The Lord redeems the soul of his servant. He saves them. And none of those who trust in him, none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. We're not gonna be condemned. We're gonna be confident in the grace of God. Can we stand right now as we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do a work of your spirit, Lord, right now, God.